You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 14. John 14. Uh, two quick things before we get going while you're doing that. One is our Financial Peace University starts today during third service, and somehow we had hardly any people sign up for that. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. We have nobody in our church that needs financial guidance. So I expect today's tithes and offerings to just be through the roof. Amazing, because you have it together. No, no. We had over a dozen people before this semester. Are you going to have the financial piece? Are you going to have financial piece? Please say you're going to have it. Yes, we're going to have it. And then we announce it for weeks, and everyone's like, nah, no thanks. Oh, you only wanted to believe that your finances were okay. So if you would like to do financial peace, it starts today during third service. Just after this service, you can see Ryan out in the lobby, and he'll get you the information and everything else, and I recommend it. It's an incredible course, life-changing course for you and your finances. Second thing is this. Uh, If you got my email this week, you saw what was going on in Kenya. We found out a little over a week ago, that one of the main founders of the Akili Girls Preparatory School, which we've been supporting for nearly five years now, uh, through mission trips, through finances, we even had the leaders out here to bless them and help get more girls sponsored, and we found out that they, uh, one of the partners has been cheating, lying, embezzling, and using the money, not for the girls and the school, but to build himself a large home, uh, even a castle, and lots of priceless pieces Uh, to fill his home with, and he's being investigated by the government. Now, this breaks my heart, and this is so difficult because Trinity has been so connected to it. You vet these people. You follow up with them every every month. She was talking with them. How are the girls? How are things going? And through deception and deceit, he was able to hide it long enough that the girls' school is now in ruins, and uh, there's some real trouble going on. So we as a church, we've stopped our financial support. And I know a lot of you in here might support one of those girls. And I just recommend go out to the information table today, get Trinity's contact info, contact her directly, and she'll let you know where to go from there. We're following up with other churches that supported that ministry uh, as to how we can, if there's another avenue, another channel we can go through to support those girls in that school. And we'll get you that information as it comes up. I had one person respond to my email this week and give me some interesting perspective. Because for me, I just get, first I deal with anger. I go through all the stages of grief, right, or loss. I just get angry. Uh, that that we, we try to be such good stewards with it. I think we're being good stewards with it. And then you hear a story like this. And someone sent me an email that said, you just spoke on Judas last week. And then to see this as a reminder that Judas is the one that Jesus put in charge of the money, purposefully knowing he was a cheater, knowing he stole from it, knowing he was a liar, because it's less about what happens with the money. He could care less. He wants to know what's going on with your heart, and that's what he's after. And so our prayer is that the Lord would get a hold of David's heart, that he would give back as much as he could, uh, that he can, back to the school. And I hope that would be your prayer as well. Let anger go away. Ask God to touch his heart, okay? All right, John 14. John 14 is all about an advocate We're going to discuss what an advocate is this morning. We're going to discuss the Holy Spirit this morning. And I think what you'll see is the Holy Spirit uh, is maybe this way you've you've not heard it talked about in church. And what you'll also see is it's not as weird or odd or mystical as the Holy Spirit sometimes gets a bad rap as being. 
it's, it's, uh, it's much more natural, beautiful, and comforting than we sort of think of the Holy Spirit. So, let's jump into this. John 14, starting in verse 15 through 26. This is Jesus speaking again on the night that he's betrayed. He's still with his disciples. This is after the foot washing. He's in the upper room. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All of this that I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is God's word for us this morning. This is an interesting message to prepare and plan for. As we were in the beginning of John chapter 13 last week, I was looking at the second half of John, which has a whole litany of messages, and the, of John, the second half of John 13, and then the whole first half of John 14, and saying, where do I speak? What do we talk on? And the Lord didn't make it clear, honestly, uh, till last night, that it was about this. That it was about this idea of an advocate. You see, I don't know what translation you had or were reading from, but out of ten different translations, the name for the Holy Spirit is given six different names. We have Holy Spirit, Counselor, Advocate, Comforter, Strengthener, and Encourager. If ten translations give one Greek word six different names, what that means is that Greek word was so rich and so full of meaning and had so many uses that there is no one English word that we have that encompasses all of them. And so we're going to look at what that word is here this morning because it's important for you to understand the idea of an advocate. And that's the one that I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this morning is the Holy Spirit as your advocate. Have you ever been rejected? Isn't it terrible? You know, you get down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? No, I'm just kidding, not that. And she says, nope. <laughs> Rejection's horrible, we hate rejection. You don't wanna be the last person picked on the team, you don't wanna be rejected by friends, right? You come and you're like, hey, I talked with the other girls. My wife tells this story, it's terrible. The girl who was her best friend in uh, eighth grade, they get to high school. She hasn't seen her all summer, and she sees her, and she's like, hey, how's it going? And uh, she's trying to hang out with this girl and her other friends, and the girl uh, kind of pulls Christy aside and said, hey, we were talking, and you're not good for our image, so you don't get to hang out with us anymore. Right? If you see Christy today, just tell her, hey, 
Nathan and I have been talking, you're not good for our image. And she will give you a right hook and knock you down because she does not care anymore. Uh, but that's what they said to her. And that's like all of our ultimate fear, that kind of rejection, that kind of uh, nobody, nobody likes me, nobody wants me to, uh, to be in my company. And so we hate rejection. And then there's, you see, there's this other type of rejection. It's a little more subtle. It's where you might have incredible success in one area of your life, right? The area that people see, maybe it's your work, maybe it's a hobby, maybe uh, you write a great blog, uh, maybe you're a great husband and father, and uh, you see a lot of success, and people know it, people praise you for it, they, they want to emulate that success, but you know, you know you, don't you? And you're not as special as they all think you are. You know those thoughts, you know those feelings, you know the areas of your life that other people don't see that you are not succeeding, actually you're failing. You're failing bad. And you want to turn it around, you want to change, but you can't. And so there is this other form of rejection, there is this other form in our minds that just says, man, why can't I get this together? I want to get this area of my life together. And the third thing we face in this life and possibly most damaging is being falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? It is a sickening feeling. I mean, we go through this life and we're like, I do plenty of bad things to be accused about, but I didn't do that. Like, if you only knew me, I can give you a list of things that you can accuse me, but I didn't do that. And it's a terrible feeling to be falsely accused. You feel uh, it's an unfounded accusation. But here's the truth of the matter. There is somewhere in the back of your mind that says, kind of deserve it though. I mean, if they really knew me, I didn't do this thing. I shouldn't be receiving the punishment for this. But there's plenty of other things that I've done. And so we fight our conscious. We, we fight our spirit, dare I say, on this concept of, how good am I really? How good are you? I'll give you time. Go ahead. On a scale of one to ten, how good are you? Yeah. Yep, that good. Is that an interesting thought? Well, I'm not Charles Manson, but I'm not Mother Teresa. Put me as a five. I'm in between Charles Manson, a serial killer, and Mother Teresa, a serial grace giver. That's, that's me, somewhere right in the middle. I want you to see this word, Holy Spirit. This is the word that Jesus uses. This is the word that John records in the Greek. And the word is alos periklitos. Alos periklitos. And what it means is another, that's the alos, periklete. Another periklete. And I'm going to discuss here what that word paraclete means because that word paraclete is vitally important to you understanding the role of Christ and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now in verse 27, which I didn't read, but if you keep reading four, chapter 14, verse 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with peace. It's my peace that I give you. Now, we're going to look at what is an advocate, who or what was the first advocate, because it says allos pericletos, which, which is another, and if it says another advocate, that means there had to be a first advocate, and then lastly, who or what is the second advocate. So, let's look at this word advocate, the periclete. 
another paraclete. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of this passage. I will not be with you always. I'm going to send another paraclete. Well, paraclete is a Greek, if you look at the break it down, the Greek word for para means beside, and the Greek word for the clete, kaleo, is the word to call. Stand beside and call. So what we have here in the word kaleo is to speak a message and to tell the truth, and what we have in the word para means to stand beside. So he's saying, I am going to send one to you who will stand beside you, not in front of you, not behind you, not above or below, but right beside you, and will speak the truth on your behalf. That's an advocate. That is what an advocate is. In the Latin, which is where we derive much of our words, paraclete is, uh, the word is advocare. Now, if you're familiar with the multi-level marketing company, Advocare, that's what they did. They took this word and said, we will stand behind, beside you and speak truth. And they are substituting themselves as the Holy Spirit and are evil. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that to be truth, but probably. So ad means alongside and vocare means to speak, right? Vocare is where we get our word or vocal in the English language, so to speak. So simply put, an advocate is someone who comes alongside of you, who is for you, who fearlessly speaks the truth on your behalf, and who is someone who has what you need. That's what an advocate is, right? And so an advocate is a substitute, they're a helper, they're a representative. Do you see why we have all these different words now in your translation? He is a comforter, an encourager, a helper. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete. And so uh, one of the ways that I saw this was when we went to uh, foster our girls and then ultimately move to adoption is they were, when they were put into the foster system around the age of one and three, and so they needed an advocate. And their social worker, which is someone provided by the state, became their advocate, became a substitute for the decision makers that their parents couldn't be and made, help make decisions for them. They were their helpers. They put them in a healthy, thriving home. And when we came into the picture for the first uh, year that we knew the girls, even though uh, we were looking to adopt them, we weren't their advocates yet. That social worker was still their advocate. And what we were essentially were doing was becoming a, it's like a uh, testing period to see if the state looking and saying, are you worthy advocates for these girls the rest of their life? And when we adopted them three years ago this December, what we said to the courts is, we will be advocates. We will stand beside these girls. We will help fearlessly represent them and help them, encourage and support them. We are their advocates. If you've ever had to uh, go to court and be represented by an attorney, the attorney is your advocate, right? The plaintiff and the defendant, they don't speak. Their attorney speaks for them. They speak on their behalf. If the attorney, attorney succeeds, the client succeeds. If the attorney fails, the client fails. They are your substitute. Do you understand this term, paraclete? An advocate. An advocate represents you. An advocate speaks for you. I will send another advocate. So that means there was a first advocate somewhere. So who's the first advocate? Point number two. Who's the first advocate? The right answer is Jesus, yes. It always is in church, but this time it actually is the right answer. In, jo in 1 John 2.1, the other uh, epistles from uh, the disciple John, it says, My little children, 
I'm writing this so that you would not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's that word again, and he's using the same word, paraclete. We have an advocate. We have one who steps in and stands beside. And so I want to show you three points here this morning, if you're a note taker, so you can see how and why Jesus is an advocate for you. First of all, the Bible says all of us stand. This is the message of the Bible from the Old to the New Testament, that all of us stand before the judgment seat of God, and we stand accused. Isn't that an interesting thing? You don't just stand before the judgment seat of God. You stand accused. You're already guilty. But I haven't done anything. (laughs) I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are already accused just by nature of being born into uh, the sin nature, into the flesh. You stand accused before God. Now, you may stand and say, this is ridiculous. He's an all-loving God. Um, I don't believe in that. The fact of the matter is you do believe in that. Your heart knows it. Your heart knows it. That's why we strive to be good people. That's why we get sickened uh, by people who do atrociously horrible things. You see, there's this moral compass on life that we somehow, that, that, the, that the secular public wants to believe is, is uh, something we have evolved into being a moral people, which makes absolutely no sense because to be a moral civilized society means you have to lay down your own self-interest. And according to uh, secularists' biggest, most famous guy, Darwin, that isn't what species do. We look out for our most, uh, our best interest and we fight for self, and we look after number one. And yet morality, if you look at the structure of morality, it's about subduing my wants and needs for the betterment of the whole. And so here we go. This is going to be fun. We stand accused before God, and whether you're a believer or not a believer, on the heart of every man and woman, there is the image of God. And they have an understanding that we are accused. Even the unbeliever knows they're accused. They won't use that language. In fact, they fight incredibly hard not to. Robbie Zacharias listened to his podcast, and they they split him up every week. And he's uh, this one was called The Link of the Resurrection. And he's one of the best theologians, apologists of our time. Does an incredible job going into some of the most hostile environments and presenting Jesus Christ in a very logical, rational way. And so he's very well read on all of the... uh, secular minds and thinkers and philosophers and in it he talks about how they what the best minds most recently have come to agree upon as how we got here right they even are finally understanding that the idea that everything just poofed into existence from non-existence is a ridiculous stupid claim even though we still teach it in the schools that it's not rational it's not logical it doesn't make sense it doesn't happen anywhere else in our universe and so they have decided okay um, we have to come up with something it can't be god because if it's god i have to subject myself to him because i recognize in my heart i already stand accused by this god because i'm not perfect i have terrible thoughts i do terrible things i don't want to be subjected to that god so here's the uh, two of the three best theories these are the ones i can remember one space dust Space dust came about, it was always out there, it's eternal, and in its space dustiness, it uh, made uh, nuclei and atoms, and voila, we have everything we have today, space dust. That one's weak. The second one, this one's genius, aliens. 
I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding, our brightest minds subscribe to what is called alien spores, that all of you are from the spore of an alien, that they came and planted it in our solar system, and then poof, here we are after billions upon billions of years. We would rather believe we are from alien spores than an intelligent, loving God created us. That is how wicked you are. That's what we would rather believe. And we'd be like, yep, that's it, aliens. They did it. They came 44 billion years ago, planted spores, and now I'm here, and I have a moral compass and everything. So it was a good spore they planted. It was a strong spore. (laughs) When you say it like that, doesn't it make you go, and this is the best we can do in the public schools? That's what we're teaching kids, is, is this idea of evolution and calling it truth. And, and I, as a believer, as a Christian, I'm the one who has a crutch, alien spores. You see, in your conscience, you understand that there is a courtroom, that there is a, that there, there is a judgment seat, that there is a universal moral law, that there is a truth that is outside of culture, outside of country, it's outside of man and woman. There is a law, and there's a standard, and you know you have violated it. And you can make all the excuses. You can justify why you do what you do. I had terrible upbringing. I had bad parents. I had no parents. I had this done to me. I've had all these failures and sufferings, and that's why I do these things. You can self-justify all you want. We all do it. We all do it for our own pet sins. We self-justify why it's going on. But the truth of the matter is when you walk through those doors and you stand in front of the judge sitting on the throne and the demand is perfection, all of your excuses sort of fall short at that point, don't they? Like, good luck. Good luck explaining that in front of an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. So the second point is this, as Jesus is your advocate. If he is your savior, if you've received him as your savior, then that means you don't stand in front of the judge. He does. You catch that? Jesus Christ is an advocate. And just like the lawyer, he represents you. And he stands in front of the judge on your behalf. If he fails, you fail. But if he succeeds, you succeed. He is your substitute. He is your helper. Whatever he does is imputed to you. That's the nature of advocacy. Now, here's the thing, and we'll get to this third point. The advocacy of Christ is Jesus doesn't just stand up there, but he stands up there with an infallible case. He stands up there with the greatest defense of all time. And let me explain this. How I came to understand God as a child growing up in the church in a more very conservative sort of Baptist church, was um, all of the bad thoughts I was having, all of the times I punched my brother and then said, shh, don't tell mom and dad, and did things that were evil, I would then go and I would pray to Jesus, and then he would go before God and be like, hey, I'm here again. It's Nathan. He said he's sorry for that thing you saw him do. He feels really bad about it, and he needs you to forgive him. You, You good? Can we forgive him? Thumbs up? Okay, thumbs up. And that's how it happened. And as I got older, my sinning became more and more frequent. Know what I mean? Yep, you all know what I mean. 
And I just figured that there had to have been a really worn path between my heart and the Lord that Jesus is like, I'm here again, I've got a batch this time. I just batched him. Rather than waiting, I just batched the last hour. He's sorry for this, he's sorry for that. You saw him do this, he drove for an hour, so you know there was problems there. And you sort of picture him as just like a really good defense attorney, like the kind that can get any of these celebrities off, right? They sort of bend the law and they use all sorts of loopholes and tricks and then they they get you out of it. Jesus has gotten me out of so much with the Father. And we sort of look at him like that. There's sort of this idea that because I throw myself, we, we, we know this quote, right? I throw myself at the mercy of the court. Well, guess what? When Jesus is your advocate, It's not about mercy. It's all about justice. It's not about mercy. It's not, oh Lord, have mercy on me. He's already had mercy on you. That's what the cross was. The mercy has already happened. You ever think about that? The mercy has happened. Now justice has to happen. The mercy has come. So when Christ goes on my behalf before the Father, he doesn't beg for mercy. He goes to him and says, Nathan's a liar, a cheater. He doesn't serve like he should. He isn't faithful. He doesn't always love you like he should. And the punishment for that is death. But here's my case. Your requirement is sacrifice. And here is my body and my blood. And I sacrificed it on his behalf. So the payment has been made in full, Lord. And I stand as his advocate. And you know that we cannot try somebody twice. And so his payment has been made in full. You see, it's not about mercy with the Lord. It's about justice. Lord, your full justice needs to be met here, and I'm meeting it. Here is my case. Tell me that's not just the most biggest weight lifted off your shoulder. Wait, I don't have to try to be good for him? I don't have to try to, to be more moral and get better every day? Now, of course, this leads us into James's writing. So does that mean we get to go on sinning like the little heathens we are? And James is like, no, moron. Why would you do that? It's killing you. It's literally killing you. Stop. But he becomes your advocate. He is your advocate. He stands in your place before the judge. He is the reason you have righteousness. And here's the thing, if that does not comfort you, if that does not bring you peace, then the reason is he is not your advocate. Now, I need to point this out here because because you need to understand this. And I talked about this a few weeks ago when I said a lot of people assume the identity of a Christian but not the treasure in Christ. They haven't found the treasure in what it means to have an advocate, right? what it means to have somebody who will defend you, use, take his righteousness, his case, and present it before the judge on your behalf. All we've, do, all we've done is assume the identity of Christian and looked at the death of Christ and said, yeah, sure, I'll take that. I'll have some of that. But we don't let him be the advocate. We're still the advocate for our own lives. We still go before God and we weigh on the scales the good and the bad that we have done. And we say, I've not been super bad, but I haven't been super good. Lord, help me. Help me. Here's what I've done. I'll try to be better. You're still your own advocate. 
And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that, because you'll always fall, you'll always come up short, and religion and me and my life will always be a burden you can't carry. I haven't done this to give you a heavy burden, right? My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Let's go back to the lawyer analogy. If you were in trouble with the law, could you imagine having to learn the language of the law in order to get yourself out? It's its own separate language, isn't it? Have you ever tried to read one of those documents when you buy a home? You don't. We hire somebody who just shows us where to sign. Sign here and here and here and here. A thousand more times and you'll own that home and you'll pay $10 million for it when you're done. Sounds like a deal to me. So that would be a pretty heavy burden if in order to defend yourself you'd have to learn the language of the law. But if, I, if my attorney, if my defense lawyer is Christ, how much lighter of a burden is that? Do you see the difference? So he's our first advocate. And uh, here's the thing, before I move on to this final point, which is who is the second advocate, and we talk about the Holy Spirit. Dr. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, Welsh preacher, would ask people, are you a Christian? If they said, I'm trying, he said, then, then I would know they had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. How many times have you thought that about yourself? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. How's life going? I'm trying. How's church? Well, I'm trying to get there. How's your relationship with God? How's your devotional? I'm trying. His point is, if you are trying to be a Christian, if you are trying to be good, you miss the point of the advocacy of Christ. His imputed righteousness has been put upon you. What does that mean when you stumble and fall then? What does that mean when you make mistakes, when you're unloving, when you're unkind to your spouse, to your children? It means rather than suffering in guilt and shame and following a spiral of self-deception and self-pity, you go to your advocate. In fact, you go to your second advocate, which is what we're going to talk about now, and that's the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. I will send another. I will send another. You will not see me anymore, but I will send another, and he will speak only what I spoke. And remember, I only spoke that which the Father showed me. He will speak what I spoke, and I only spoke the things that the Father showed me. He will bring a peace and a calmness. He will bring an encouragement to your life and a reminder of truth. Whenever you get lost in this life, he will remind you what is truth. That is the paraclete. That is the advocate. He is going to come to speak to you and remind you of everything I told you. He is going to show you that I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and I know we spent a lot of time here talking about Christ, and in the last few minutes I'm going to close with an understanding of the Holy Spirit. We often look at the Holy Spirit as this source that brings power to us, this source that will let us heal people, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that lets us uh, have 
prophetic words or wisdom, and so entire church denominations build their whole church around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's honestly what a lot of Christians worry about after they become Christian is, what gifts do I get now? Do I have the gift of tongues? Oh, no, I don't. I'm not a good enough Christian. Do I have the gift of healing? Do I hear God's voice? Where's my gift? And honestly, we sound like American children on Christmas. You miss the fact that the Holy Spirit is the gift. You hear me? If you have the second advocate, I will send another advocate. You have the gift. You have the gift. It's already been given to you. You just need to use it. Well, I don't know how to use it. There were no instructions. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. It's not, but okay. Here's the thing. The inside advocate, the Holy Spirit, he says, one will come and live within you, is saying, look, I love you, and I'm going to remind you of truth, and when I speak truth to you, it is going to be both gracious and painful. Because here's the, the truth of the matter is, if you love somebody, and if you've had somebody in your life who's truly loved you, they've supported you, they've encouraged you, they've rejoiced with you, and when you went astray and off track, what did they do? Did they just encourage you to keep going? No. They intervened. And they said, I love you too much to let you go down this road of pain, so I am going to intervene. And this is going to be painful, and it's going to hurt, and I'm going to say things you don't like. But it's truth. And you know what? I'm not going to say it from afar. I'm not going to say it from in front of you telling you to come on. I'm going to walk right beside you. I'm going to three-legged race this thing with you. I'm tying my leg to your leg, my waist to your waist, and we're going to walk through this until you get better together. Have you ever had a friend like that? Anybody? Have you ever had somebody walk through a very, very difficult situation in your life? They told you things you didn't want to hear at a time when you just wanted somebody to pat your head and tell you everything was going to be okay. They didn't. They loved you enough to tell you the truth. That is the Holy Spirit. You hear me? That is the Holy Spirit. And you do not need to pray to get it. You receive Jesus as your advocate and you are given the Holy Spirit. There is such a bogus lie in the church. Let's pray to get the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray to get it. No, he already gave it to you. I am sending you one. It's here, it's happened, the gift has been given. If I receive the advocate, my first advocate of Christ, and he stands before the Father on my behalf now, I am given the gift of his spirit, which will walk alongside me. Again, remember that name, Allos Periclete. He will walk alongside me and will speak truth on my behalf. Which is why whenever Christians, and I'll say this to you right now, just to remind you for this week, I'm scared to witness. I'm, I'm nervous that I'll misrepresent Christ. I'm nervous they'll ask me questions I don't know. You don't have to. If you understood the power of the gift you were given with the Spirit, before that meeting, you do what I do every Sunday before I get up here and you say, God, I have planned and prepared for this sermon, but may your Spirit go and speak on your behalf and use me to do it. Because he's right beside me. He's right beside me, and he's right beside you. So if you're going to talk to that neighbor or that friend or family member, trust that he will speak on your behalf. Don't be ignorant. 
That's not, again, that's not an excuse. Well, I don't have to study because Jesus will give me the answers. <laughs> I didn't study from a math test, but I did pray to the Holy Spirit, and I got an F. So, Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't reward stupid. Let me just... <laughs> that's so harsh. We do have a cry room. If that bothered you, that's for you. Look, this isn't about him saying, you don't have to do anything in life. My spirit will do it all for you. This is about him reminding you, you're not alone. You're not alone. You'll never be alone. I've got you. Let me invite the band out here as we prepare to close. But here's, here's the last thing I want to say. In order to make him your advocate, you have to do three things. First of all, you have to admit that there is a God that sits on the throne of this world, on this universe, who you do not measure up to, his standard. It's the hardest thing for mankind to admit right there. That's why the brilliant, most brilliant minds in our world won't admit that. There is a God who sits on a throne whose standards I don't measure up to. Second thing, you have to admit that you've been trying to be your own advocate. You've tried to put this together. You've tried to make things right. You've tried to be more moral and righteous and deserving of that God's love. That's why you can't take criticism. That's why rejection hurts so badly. That's why the failures that you're stuck in and habits that are damaging continue to gain ground on you because you're trying to be your own advocate. And sure, you throw a prayer out to God and you ask him to help you but you've never given him that place. You hear me? We can cry out to God and say, help me, help me, help me, but never give him the place to do it. Never make him our advocate. Never make him our Lord. And third, ask Jesus to be your advocate. That's how you get the Holy Spirit in your life. That's how you get the comforter and the encourager, the truth teller that will walk beside you in this life. One of the greatest places I see this is when I meet with people who are near death. They know their time is around the corner. They're either in the hospital or at home. And I've met with unbelievers who are near death. And let me tell you the tension in the room when you walk into a room with a person who has no faith in God, but the family member has asked me to come and speak with them. It's confusion. It's anxiety. It's anger. And it's uncertainty. All of those things. This weekend I had a chance to talk with one of our congregants who sees himself as being close to that point in his life. And he knows it's, it's right around the corner. And so he, he called me. And he said, you know, Nathan... For the last few weeks leading up to this, I have had anger, and I've been asking God why, and I've been frustrated and angry with him. But he said something amazing happened this last week. He said a peace came over me, and he's trying to explain it, and I said that passes all understanding, and he goes, yes, it doesn't make sense. He goes, I've been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it, and all of a sudden I just... I cried out to God and I have this peace. Nathan, whatever comes, comes. He said, I just want people to know how real he is because I can't explain to you this peace. I'm still in pain. The diagnosis isn't that I'm gonna get better, it's that it's gonna get worse. 
and I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more at peace. I couldn't be closer to the Lord and hearing his voice in ways that I wish I could have seen when I was healthy. You see, it's in those moments often that we're backed up against a wall where we no longer have any more options. That a Christian man or woman will come before the Lord and all of a sudden, many times for the first time, get to understand how much of an advocate that Holy Spirit has been in their life. How much they've comforted and loved and encouraged them. How much that voice has been speaking truth to them, but they didn't want to listen to it. So as we pray here today, I know that I know that I know, as real as I am standing here before you, God's Holy Spirit, for many of you in here, has been speaking. He's been speaking truth to you. He's been speaking some of you truth that you needed to hear, and he's been encouraging you, and you've been depressed, and you have been beating yourself up, and all of a sudden, as I've been speaking, God has just been encouraging you in your ear. That's from the Lord. I want you to know that right now. That's from the Lord. There are others in this room who he's been speaking a hard truth to. You were supposed to do something. You were supposed to move on something he'd been preparing you for and fear stopped you, finances stopped you, something stopped you and you've just been sitting stagnant and God's voice of truth is speaking to you right now. That's the Lord. That's not guilt, that's not shame, that's not church. That's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you, he loves you. There are others of you in here who are trapped in addiction, relationships, sin, and he's, he is drawing you out saying, come on, let's get help. I'm with you. I will walk with you. I'll lead you as I walk beside you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as your spirit is speaking right now, I want to give a place and a time for you to speak. So, Lord, you, you speak. Our advocate, our advocate speaks on our behalf. There was one last group I didn't mention in there purposefully. And that, that is there are some of you who have never given your life to the Lord and that means you have never made him your advocate. You have never said, I am a sinner that falls short of the requirements of an almighty God. But I want to do that today. If that's you, I encourage you wherever you're at, slip your hand up say that's me I've never given my life to the Lord and if you're in here you can do that this morning if you're in here and you want to come and pray with a prayer partner or an elder or pastor they'll be up front during communion and you do that as well You know, there's all sorts of arguments in the Christian church about whether or not the gifts are dead, whether the gifts of God are dead or alive. And it's such a silly argument because if we actually understood who the Holy Spirit was, if we understood him as Christ described him, our advocate, well then of course he's alive. And of course the way he manifests in your life is alive. see, when you begin to recognize that your advocate, you begin to recognize that voice in your life that is the Lord speaking. 
and you don't have to go into situations with fear. God will give you words to speak. He might give you a word of healing. He might give you a word of wisdom, and it will be as natural as a conversation. that he was talking with his disciples. He broke bread with them and shared a cup of wine with them. And in it, as he broke the bread, he told them, this is my body broken for you. And once they had all partaken and shared in that, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This will be your advocacy. This will be the payment that will be made, that I give of my own free will, that you can stand in front of the Father, free of sin and guilt. And then they partook of it together, and Jesus said, whenever you gather together, do this. So if you have a relationship with Christ, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and When I'm done praying, I invite you to get up, go to one of the three stations in the front or the back, take the two cups and go back to your seat and partake of the communion there. But examine your heart. Continue to talk with the Lord. Continue to write down if he's saying something to you, write it down. And then we'll close in worship. So let's pray and bless the communion. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this world is perfectly designed and created. The solar system and the stars that we sit in are meticulously placed. There is so much thought into the human body. There is so much thought into the human mind. How ignorant must we be to deny your existence? as we are gathered together as many parts in one body today. We pray a blessing over the bread and the juice, your body and your blood. As we receive it into ourselves, we receive your death, burial, and resurrection into ourselves, and we proclaim you as our advocate. In Jesus' name.